Älskar du den här podden? Stötta den genom IKAs nya supporterfunktion. Det är helt upp till dig hur mycket du vill bidra med och det finns ingen bindningstid. Klicka på länken i poddbeskrivningen för att visa din uppskattning och stötta podden. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hej och välkomna till Någonting om aktier med mig, Tim Hansson och Marcus Gädda. Tjena Tim. Hej Marcus, hur är läget? Jo men det är bra, det är bra. Hur är det själv? Jo det är bara bra, det är varmt som mm. vanligt. Ja, det är 26 grader. Ja men det har varit en riktigt bra sommar hittills faktiskt. Mm. Börsen, inte lika varm, det är lite kallt. Jag såg att det var nedgång till 2,5% idag på OMX. Var det fortfarande? Ah, shit, jag såg bara förmiddagen och då såg jag ändå att det vände upp där mm. från 1,7 ner till bara ner 1,3. Men ja. är det ner nu? Två säger du? Ja, någonting sånt. Jag fick ett meddelande från Avanza där jag inte varit upp den. Stygt, 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 stygt. Ja. Men idag har vi ett speciellt avsnitt framför oss faktiskt. Visst är det så? Jag tycker jag kommer bli väldigt sant. Visst är det så? Men innan lite det var... Vi, vi spelar in detta den sista juni. Mm. Men vi kommer släppa det här lite, lite längre fram. Ja, vi får se helt enkelt. Så att vi, egentligen alla nyhetstakes vi tar är inte så relevanta. Så Nej, antagligen. Vi besparar dem helt enkelt. Liksom. Ja. Så ja. att, och på tal på att bespara er så har vi faktiskt... Det finns väldigt många olika sätt att... Undvika och missa pengar Eller förlora pengar Ja det är det man vill göra Ja. Och en stor del av det är att liksom förstå hur andra tänker Och hur ja. marknaden tänker Och hur, och hur man själv tänker ja. Såklart. Så att, och med det sagt så Vi har faktiskt Vår första avsnitt som är på engelska Ja vi ska ha lite internationell gäst här idag mm. Ska vi dra igång direkt eller? Ajebus Okej och med det välkomnar vi Michael Kirchler Welcome. Hi, welcome. How are you feeling today? 
Uh, very good. Thank you very much. So I just had uh, teaching with my students here in Innsbruck and you went very well. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward as well to uh, this episode today. Yeah. Okay, great. So you're in Innsbruck in, uh, in Austria? Yeah, that's in Austria. So maybe some of you know it from skiing or from uh, vacation. So it's <laughs> surrounded by mountains. Yeah, I know. Um, and there are a lot of students in, in Innsbruck. So it's around one quarter of the uh, population in, in Innsbruck is students. So it's a very nice city with a lot of young people. Therefore, mm -hmm. the vibe is pretty good. So okay, this is very comfortable here. Yeah, it's a bit like Uppsala or Lund maybe here in Sweden. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so it's comparable. Yeah, but a little bit more mountains, so that's the difference. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Okay, so do you do you want to give your background, maybe what you do and uh, where you come from and so forth? Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from Austria, um, and my profession is I'm a professor of finance uh, at the University of Innsbruck uh, and I also teach uh, finance in Gothenburg in Sweden that's why I get to know uh, Tim Tim has spoken so much about you so <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, I can imagine no, yeah. but I, I, seriously though I have been discussing some of the theories in the past episodes like mentioning them at least yeah mm. very good so all the listeners know already a little bit about what, what I'm doing yeah, so I, 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 I grew up in Austria studied also in, in Austria and now I'm a professor in, in the University of Innsbruck and I'm mainly um, concerned with experimental finance. So we run experiments with humans to investigate how they behave. So that's the, that's the more complicated version. Hmm. But it's, it's not that difficult. I, I could give you an example. So for instance, one experiment could be something like this. So think about the largest tree in the world. So Tim is already laughing. He knows already what I'm aiming for. Um, so what do you think? Is the largest tree uh, of the world larger or smaller than 50 meters? And you have to check yes or no. Larger. Yes, I think so as well. And then the, the, the final question is, so how large do you think is the largest tree in the world? 103 meters. I okay, think it's 150 meters. I already oh. forgot the answer. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no problem. The, the, the correct answer is irrelevant. So okay. <laughs> this experiment is usually what I do with students in one of my first courses. Um, half of them get exactly this protocol. So they, they, they get 50 as an anchor, 50 meters. Uh, but the other half get 350. So they get this information. Do you think that the largest tree is larger or smaller than 350 meters? And in the end, what's, what do we compare? We simply compare the... Uh, the estimates, the guesses of the individuals. And do you think does this anchor has an impact on what they guess? The 50 or the 350? Of course it of has. Of course, of course. Yes. So usually it's uh, those with the high anchor, they have double or triple the, the estimates than the others. And this is a very simple example of an experiment. It usually always works. And it shows us that anchorings that irrelevant numbers influence us in our decisions, in our predictions. Mm. Mm. I only know anchoring from like, you know, when they set prices and they say, oh, they have 30% discount from this price. And that price is just way too high yeah. to start off. That, that's another example we talked about. So yeah. that this, the formal prices serve as anchors and the discounts then all of a sudden feel great. I mean, then it's a great deal, I think, because it's 30% off, but maybe it was never 
But maybe maybe the, the original price never was that high. But people feel better afterwards and they mm. purchase more frequently. So these are some simple examples of, of experiments. Um, and I have another example as well, which is more related to stock markets. So think about your favorite sports team. Let's okay. say your favorite football team. Is it okay with ice hockey? Oh, ice hockey, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> But this this year the championships were not that successful, right? No, at least not here in Gothenburg. Nope. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Think about your favorite sports team. Let's assume football. So your team is down two nil uh, halftime, but in the end, because of some magic, we the, the final result is a draw. So two two two. Yeah. Are you happy? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was almost about, like, almost a yeah, comeback. Exactly. What about the opposite? I mean, our team is two 0 in front during halftime, and in the end, uh, it's a draw, two two. Are we similarly happy or more disappointed? More disappointed, obviously. Yes, that's yeah. what usually people are. But I mean, Homo economicus, or this perfectly rational individual, would say, "I don't care." In the end, it's one point for the league table. No matter whether I was down or up during halftime, but we are humans and usually football spectators are more happy once they have the comeback rather than when um, they were in front during halftime. And we run an experiment transforming this idea to the, to the financial market. So we gave finance professionals, but also student investors, different charts from the last one year. And not surprisingly, those charts were modeled like, okay, uh, in, for some charts, it was like the football team that was down in the first half. So the stock market went down 30% during uh, middle of the year of this particular stock. And then in the end, it went up and we made, I don't know, 10% return. Yeah, kind of like during COVID when it went down and went up. Yeah, for instance, for instance. Yeah. And some other charts had the opposite pattern. So they went up 30% first, and then they dropped in the second half of the year down to only plus 10% in the end. Again, home economics would say 10% is 10%. But we found that the students, but also the professional investors, were much more uh, happy with those stocks that had the comeback towards the end of the year rather than those stocks that yeah dropped from a, a an annual high in the middle of the year, uh, towards the end of the year. So this is how we do research. We investigate how people behave in those situations. And I think you can already imagine this has a lot of implications for real investment or in general decisions out there. Mm, of course. And also I can, I can also see the resemblance being here when you have a stock that, that is down 20% from mm. somewhere. I mean, you find that, oh, that's 20% down from what it was. Now it's cheap. Yeah, it's, it's, it still doesn't <laughs> matter. It still might be overvalued. Mm. I mean, it still might be a shit company. <laughs> yeah, just, of course. It's just 20% less expensive. Mm. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting because, as you said, like Homo economicus, the, the rational man, is always preached around the, in microfinance or maybe in all, of the, all, all the other courses I've had during my bachelor. It's been mostly about homo economicus and being so logical. But in the truth is that you aren't that rational. Exactly. And that's behavioral finance. We strip off the, the logical aspects of, of 
this Homo economicus and simply investigate how people, how do people behave in, in reality? What are the differences? Hmm. And this anchoring and the, the second one was the so-called framing effect. Those are two examples of, of what we are doing and what we are also teaching in class. What's the framing effect? The framing effect tells us, okay, there's a certain decision problem. Like for instance, this, this investment decision I just uh, told you. And depending on, on how I frame the decision, people decide differently. So in the end, this was a simple decision. How happy are you with a 10% return in the end at the end of the year? So this was the, the, the core of the decision. But the frame was different. I, I simply showed you the trajectory during the year. And in one case, you had the comeback. In another case, you had the drop from half from, from July. And this is framing. Depending on how I frame the same decision, people behave differently, mm. for instance. Okay. And what, what other type of research have you done? Like, um, yeah, yeah. what have you been researching, researching in the past? Yeah, this was one example. Um, but maybe this is interesting for the listeners, how I came to, to become a professor. So uh, yeah, go ahead. long yes, time ago, you know, the, at, the, at the end of the 1990s, you know, there was this, this, this so-called dot-com bubble. I think yep. some of you, Boo.com. all of you are pretty familiar with that. And this was just a pretty crazy time, um, especially in Europe, because, you know, there were these, these tech companies popping up and, and, and quite a lot of private investors entered the market for the first time. And during 1998, 1999, almost all of the tech stocks no matter which business model was in the background, were increasing in price. Okay? <laughs> and, you know, I was also thrilled. Uh, I found it interesting. I was at the beginning of my university studies and then I invested a little bit. Fortunately, I did not have so much money, so, which, is, which uh, prevented me from doing <laughs> stu too many stupid things. And then it, the, the, there was this turnaround uh, during March 20 when the tech stocks crashed. But it was this dot-com bubble or the, the crash of the dot-com bubble in March 20, in March 2000, sorry. And the stock market or the, the, the tech stocks never came back or most of them did not come back. So for instance, in, the, the, in Germany, the, the, um, the so-called Neue Markt composed of tech stocks went down 80% during the next two and a half years. And this fascinated me. I mean, I wasn't fascinated that I lost some money. I mean, only a couple of hundred of euros. But what I was fascinated at was how can so many people on the stock market be wrong? I mean, even during March 2000 in the stock market newsletters, people wrote predictions of, oh, this particular stock will go up another 100% the next four months. And, and some people were still enthusiastic in March, April that the party will never stop. And I was highly interested and thought, how can the market be that wrong? Hmm. How can so many people be collectively wrong in, in, let's say, in judging those tech stocks? And this was the starting point of my master thesis at that time. And, and the first experiments that we did uh, back in 2003, 2004, were also concerned with bubbles. So we simply modeled asset markets in a computer laboratory. And at that time, the student traders, they could trade those artificial assets. And we identified 
let's say, origins of bubbles. So we could turn on bubbles in the laboratory hmm. and we could turn them off. And this was pretty fascinating for me. Um, and that's why I was, yeah, I stuck into academia. Hmm. Is it because we're, we're just so, I mean, we're pack animals, so to speak? I mean, Herd uh, yeah. animals, yeah. yeah, much better. Uh, is it is that one of the main reasons why the market was so collectively wrong, would you say? I would say so. So when we did a lot of those market experiments in the laboratory where we could identify individual factors and one factor is if all of a sudden a lot of new investors enter the market for some reason because all of a sudden they realize, oh, there's a party going on and <laughs> my neighbor already made some money, I should invest as well, even without knowing what a stock is. This is what this was one of the is one of the historical reasons why bubbles emerge. So simply demand pressure and this therefore prices are bid up pretty strongly. Uh, and this was one of the reasons for the dot com bubble that a herd of inexperienced traders all of a sudden entered the market. Um, and studies also show that, that smart money left the market earlier than the private investors left. Mm. And I think. Bitcoin also offers some example uh, showing that it's mainly driven by private investors that herd onto the market and then when prices go down, they herd out of the market. It kind of resembles like 2021 and uh, it's something that we experience as well here at uh, Ungaxbare mm -hmm. because we have so much influx of uh, new savers, of course, yeah. Um, yeah. and then in the late uh, latest six months, maybe it's been a sharp downturn. <laughs> Definitely, I mean, yeah. we we can see the interest in both just general people being actives. You can see on like uh, financial Twitter. I mean, there's a huge difference in the amount of tweets and and what Activity, people are, yeah, yeah and what people are saying and and just like how involved people are, which is, I mean, I mean, it's. It's the most clearest sign because I always say it's always the private investors that are going to sit with Svarte um, Petter, yeah. <laughs> the losing hand in poker. Exactly. Mm -hmm. so, so because institutional money, big money, it's going to move faster even though it's more. I mean, and it's bigger. Yeah, yeah. and they, they work with it. I mean, they know the risks and whatnot and they're just much more well-informed than, than, I mean, private Private investors. Yeah. So... And then that's and it's going to be interesting to see how many how many private investors are going to be left in the end of 2022. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's sad if they enter the market at the peak yeah. and then they leave at the bottom. That would be the worst thing to do. Yeah. Of course, now you want to sit tight and maybe purchase even more. Yeah, but historically, I mean, uh, those upswing periods like uh, dot com or also after after the COVID crash during 2000. Uh, 20 those periods are usually the periods where people are broader let's say a bunch of people becomes aware that there is a stock market or that there's something going on in the stock market because then the media is more and more reporting about the upswing on the stock market and this probably triggers quite a lot of people to to enter the market as well mm. so usually private investors don't enter the market for the first time in a downswing no, probably because not. that's not a, that's not attractive for them. So that that's a little bit unfortunate for private investors if they like if they like knowledge about stock markets. That's why those podcasts are so important to to educate people. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. That's why we are here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Joe. 
Okay, but so then you went on to write your master thesis, uh, of course. And how did you become end up becoming a professor? And is it something that you recommend other people doing? Well, um, I think in 2003 I, I finalized my master, and then I was fascinated by this by this kind of research to to, to run experiments and to isolate factors that drive individual behavior. So this is still extremely fascinating, and I think. Tim, you know it from from the the, the, the course that we had mm. that even in a in a simple course those anchoring experiments or other experiments they are pretty simple to run but highly educatable because people fall into those traps themselves and then they know those concepts much better that oh yeah I was let's say influenced by an anchor for instance by irrelevant information and. This this fascinated me during um, my math thesis. That's why I did my PhD thesis, and uh, this was finalized in two thousand and six. And then, yeah, I stayed at university because I loved research, because I loved to do additional experiments and to find interesting answers to very interesting questions, like those with the bubbles or those with how people are satisfied with different price formation, price charge. And in the end, I became professor in 2010. Is it something I would recommend to others? I don't know, because there are not so many <laughs> positions out there, right? I mean, yeah. we in Innsbruck, we have five finance professors. Don't take That's my not a lot. job. But what I can recommend is that, uh, yeah, people should read about behavioral finance, behavioral economics, how we behave in reality. And there are very interesting books uh, read, uh, written by Daniel Kahneman. He got the Nobel Prize. Uh, Richard Taylor, he got the Nobel Prize in 2017 as well. Dan Ariely. There are so many interesting books to read. And I think it, it educates the reader to make better decisions on a daily basis when they go shopping, when they invest on the stock market, when they think about their pension plans and so on. So this is what I can recommend, that the people read okay. about those uh, interesting research um, and maybe pursue a master program that has aspects of it, but becoming a professor is nothing that I would recommend because the, the job market is extremely thin. So. Yeah. I'm not going to be like that, sorry, Michael, but uh, typical professors to say, read more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... You mentioned, I mean, I mean, I totally agree with you with, with the interest in, in the subject, um, but you mentioned here your, your interest in bubbles uh, mm-hmm. and how they've always occurred and how we humans tend to always, you know, get dragged along. And yes, it's just going to go up. Yeah, but the fear of missing out, I think, yeah, is very Yeah, FOMO is insane. But what's your best advice for spotting and avoiding bubbles? <laughs> or would you say, what was your best to get? I'm not... Avoiding them might be hard, but yeah, basically, what's your best advice to deal with bubbles, I think, is the best way to, to phrase the question. Mm-hmm. I think there, there are two perspectives on that. Sorry, that's, a, that's an answer of a professor. One perspective <laughs> is, uh, from me as an individual investor, what do I learn or how do I spot potential bubbles and how do I trade? And the other perspective is, from the from from a societal perspective, or the perspective of the regulator, 
how to spot the bubble and maybe try to prevent the bubble. Maybe let's start with the second one. The second one is, from a society perspective, bubbles are usually not ideal because, you know, prices are pumped up extremely and then all of a sudden they crash down, I don't know, 50, 60, 70, 95%. So this is pretty inefficient. Uh, I would say as a professor, there's a lot of wealth that is destroyed uh, during the crash of a bubble and also there is inequality that increases and so on. And the, the big danger is that bubbles on financial markets can have spillover effect to the real economy, that a, a recession can really follow a financial bubble, especially if it's, if it's a big bubble, if it's, if it's stock market wide, if a lot of traders trade on leverage, then the financial industry will get problems and then it has spillover effects on the real economy. Here my answer is there will always be bubbles in the future as well and there have always been some and it's pretty difficult to prevent future bubbles. That's... <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry I have not, no better news here. So, um... would, would you say we're coming out of a bubble right now? In which industry or area? Or uh, I'm just talking the stock this, yeah, because we, I mean the Swedish stock market is down like thirty percent. Yeah, I think a wide index. Yeah. Would you? I mean, you were talking about percentages in terms of fifty, sixty, seventy, mm -hmm. and here we're talking about the housing bub bubble uh, we, that the prices mm -hmm. are coming down. Yeah, the, the, there's one important aspect. A bubble is somehow a vague concept. It's vaguely defined. It says but prices that exceed fundamentals, fundamental values, by a certain extent or are far above fundamental values, but it's not, it's not defined in a, in a better way. So we don't know is a bubble already at plus 20% of a fundamental or 220%. That's why in reality it's very difficult to exactly define is this a bubble. That's why the laboratory is, is, is much better suited for this research because in the laboratory, I know exactly what is the fundamental value because I programmed the asset and then traders trade on that. Um, but coming back to, are we certainly, uh, are we in a bubble at the moment? Well, the, or in a crash period, mm. well, this, this invasion of Russia to the Ukraine, I mean, this was, this was an external shock, one would say. Definitely. So it was a an external shock, and you know, future the future prospects of of the economy are worse now, and that's why stock markets went down. So it's not a it's not a classical crash um, of a bubble where all of a sudden some people start to sell and then panic starts and then more people sell. Here it can be justified fundamentally to a certain degree. Housing market is another aspect. And I think we have problems in throughout Europe with housing prices that they have increased pretty strongly during the last years. I think in some in some cities, one could already call it a bubble that, that, that prices increased much stronger than fundamentals of the houses did during the last 10 or 15 years. And there are some reasons because interest rates were extremely low. So there was also this influx of new investors uh, in certain housing markets, and this drove up the prices pretty strongly. Now it's an interesting period 
because now interest rates seem to increase, which uh, makes it more difficult for those that have loans to, to purchase new houses. Uh, and it makes also alternative investments for investors that invested in houses before or in apartments more attractive. So they might go out a little bit of the housing market, which could have depressing effect on prices, mm-hmm. which is actually good for, for young people because if they want to buy an apartment or so, prices co- can become more affordable in the next years. Michael, don't say that. I just bought an apartment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Michael, keep saying that. I have not yet bought an apartment. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but okay. No, no, but, I, and- I totally hear you about it. Sorry, you were saying. No, sorry. I think I didn't give an answer to the first aspect as an individual. Um, I think as an individual, it's extremely difficult to spot whether this is a bubble or not. Because, I mean, exposed, it's pretty clear to say this can be considered a bubble. But once you're in there, you do not know exactly how the future looks like, right? Uh, And therefore, it's extremely difficult to, to... investigate whether this is a bubble or not. To protect yourself from it, you could say you could give yourself targets where you say, okay, if I already made 50 or 60%, I will go out of the asset. But then you should no longer look how the assets developed in the future because you will always find, you will never have the right position where you go out and you will always be fed up that you didn't find the perfect timing. So this is also one recommendation. Yeah. Exactly. Never look back. Yes, because, I mean, you made your decision, you cannot overturn it mm. from yeah. a psychological perspective. Yeah, definitely. No, but, and also um, in terms of like spotting the right moments to go in, I mean, it's really hard to, to understand when now is the right moment. And we always speak a lot about uh, valuating companies by multiples. And mm-hmm. that's great and all, but it always comes down to the market deciding on how do we value this yeah. industry. Is it 20 times earnings? Is it 15 times earnings? Is it f- it's, it's always what the market decides. You can never decide what it's worth almost. Yeah. And during cor- Corona or covid I mean, we've seen multiples going through the roof. And I mean, I mean, looking at multiples is always great and stuff. But I mean, normal steady businesses, I know like Sunweekend and stuff have been like P mm. price earnings like 40. Mm. And that, that's a company that's never gone over 20. I mean, it might be a nice yeah. stable company, but the market valuations have just, it's just hard to understand, okay, is this valuation multiple is this going to be larger, smaller in the future? Even if the company grows, the market might decide that we don't value this industry that high anymore. Mm. Or something like that. Mm. The easiest thing to do is probably just to invest in some passive index fund and just... Live life. Live, no, live life, yeah. But you save monthly and then I will buy, you will buy both when it's high, but also when it's low. Definitely. Probably. I mean, good that you say that, Tim. I mean, one, one major lesson from behavioral finance is that overconfidence is, is not good for, for individual investors. So there are some studies showing that those investors that trade much more than others, that after costs, they have a lower annual return than those investors that 
have a buy and hold strategy almost because they hardly trade. And the difference is that before costs, the returns of these two groups are almost identical and after costs, after the trading costs, and this is of course much, they are of course much higher for those that trade a lot, the returns of the high traders or the, the high frequency traders are clearly lower, significantly lower than those of the passive investors. Mm. So that's unfortunately after more than 20 years in academia, the thing that I can recommend the most based, based on scientific literature, not on storytelling, that's something different <laughs> based on scientific literature. Yeah. As a private investor, try to have a, a mid or long-term perspective of 10, 15, 20 years and go well diversified, broadly diversified in different index products and do not trade much because this will always harm your net performance, the trading costs. They are evil. Commissions mm -hmm. and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Big, ugly, nasty banks always yeah. taking exactly. a cut. It's the worst. Sometimes when I, I buy some international stocks, like in Germany, for example, I have to do a phone order. Okay. The commission is like 2% almost. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah nice. Or for instance, if you if you invest in in actively managed funds, I mean, if you really spot extremely fancy actively invested funds that have a very special strategy, I mean, you, they tell you everything in the prospectus uh, you want to hear. Some of those funds have one point five or two percent management fee per year, which mm. is a lot. So let's assume this is a. a uh, a fund invested only in stocks, if you make 6 or 8% per year return, on average, that's a lot. But the 1.2 or 2% of, of, of commissions or of management fee, that's already a quarter of, of your annual return. That's a lot, if you think about that. Because 1.5% doesn't sound that much per year, but it's around a quarter of, of what you can expect in return or in performance every year. And that's insane. Yeah, mm, definitely. And, and this, makes you, this makes you basically dead after 20 or 30 years because then you have, you have I think, 30, 40. Yeah, your, your final portfolio value after 30 years will probably be around 40 or 50% of what you would have without management fee. Hmm. So it sums up over time. Yeah, of course. Index funds, here we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Michael, I have, I have another question here. The energy market. Sure. Can, Sorry, can, The energy market. Oh. Yes, <laughs> yes. I, am a, I like specifics. Um, would you see that there's a tendency for maybe a bubble form? Formation there. I mean, in terms of, I mean, it's just the demand and we call it supply yeah demand and supply and basically supply being very limited right now and the demand being equal to what it used to be mm -hmm. or kind of mm -hmm. even higher it's a very interesting and highly relevant market at the moment mm. because a lot of people suffer because of this high energy prices mm. and i think they will even suffer more during next winter definitely yep so I would not say that this is a bubble because, as you have already mentioned it, uh, I think here simply simple supply and demand logic applies. So, you know, remember, a bubble is defined as, as prices that are far above fundamentally justified values. I mean, in this case, if Russia really 
cut or cuts the, the, the gas supply by 50 or 60 percent. I mean, this has supply demand uh, reasons why the prices went up that strongly. So I would not say that there is a lot of speculation bubble formation here at the moment. It's, I think, uh, mainly driven by shortage or by the fear of shortage from main suppliers like Russia. Mm. Okay, unfortunately, can, can you reverse it and can you see oversupply of oil and gas? Maybe. Sorry, I didn't get it. I could if you so. if you get uh, oversupply, like uh, Saudi Arabia says, guys, yeah. let's go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Venez- uh, Venezuela. I mean, they're basically banned right now, right? Uh, from, I think so. From, they have some sanctions on them. Yeah, and I think yeah, US were talking about lifting those sanctions. So, and if everybody opens their floodgates. I mean, can we see a drastic price drop in the energy sector? I think for oil and, and gasoline, this could happen. But I think this, I think then the other um, countries, the ones you mentioned, they have to, let's say, supply much more. And the question is whether they want to do it because uh, at the same time, they benefit from this high uh, oil mm-hmm. price as well, right? I mean, they they earn much more per barrel than they earned uh, one year ago. And with gas, I'm very pessimistic because, you know, in, especially in Europe, we have this pipeline system and it's pretty difficult uh, within two or three days to, to, to construct a pipeline from Venezuela to Sweden, for instance, <laughs> or yeah. from other countries. So th- that's, that's the, the big problem that we face in Europe, that we are stuck into this infrastructure of, of gas pipelines. And how how is the development in in Austria, for example? Like, what extremely does, what, bad. What is the politician saying? Like, and how is your? We, we sometimes we talk about like the Sweden's energy supply, but we all have a lot of uh, nuclear and uh, wind and uh, hydro. hydro. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how, how is it no. in Austria? Uh, okay, so I think it, it's good and bad at the same time. The good thing is we have a lot of uh, renewable energy already, so we have a lot of. Um, Water, water energy. So I don't know the hydro. The, hydro. hydro, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, no worries. it's already late in the evening. So <laughs> we have a lot of hydro energy, and that's that's really a big benefit. We have no nuclear power plants. This is interestingly, there was a debate in the in the 70s, beginning of 80s, and, and Austria voted against it. We have hardly any coal, which is also very good for the environment. The only big problem we have is with gas. So a substantial fraction, especially of heating and for the industry is, is on gas. And 80% of this gas comes from Russia. So we are extremely exposed to Russia when it comes to gas. And the government is not trying to, to get alternative sources on, on the gas supply, but as indicated before, it's difficult to construct pipelines or to have these LNG terminals of this liquid gas um, because we don't have, you know, we, we don't have, we are not close to the sea. So it's mm. difficult for ships uh, to enter with uh, uh, LNG of these liquid gas terminals. But as, a, as I understand it, I mean, it's very impractical or basically not relevant to ship by, via boat. Is, is that correct? It's very expensive, yeah. but you know, some industries and some and quite a lot of households, especially in the capital of Vienna, they depend on gas. They have gas heatings uh, in some industry, like the chemical industry or steel industry. They need 
high power because they in the construction process they, they have they, they they need um a lot of temperature and this can mainly be yeah. supplied by gas and they cannot transform their appliances within a couple of months to other forms of energy so that's a little bit the unfortunate situation we have in austria mm -hmm. but hopefully i think we will manage so yeah hopefully yeah. Yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. Uh, we have to and also i have an another question which kind of circles back to my previous ones but uh, can you see any typical behaviors when there's a downturn in the economy kind of a recession like, like you mean like biases or yeah I, i read the other day about the lipstick effect how us humans cannot like withstand luxury overall so instead of buying r big expensive stuff we buy small expensive stuff mm -hmm. like like lipstick mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. why it's called the lipstick effect Um, but is is there any behavior that you can identify in in a recession type of period? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I did not do any research on that, but you only investigated the peaks, not the not the lows, not the bottoms. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no. Um, but I can imagine. I mean, hmm. So this is a conjecture. So we. We, we know from the literature, people somehow care about their statues, okay? So this goes back to, to uh, tens of thousands of years and even to the primates uh, millions of years ago that for us individuals, it's a certain degree important, uh, the statues that we have in certain sub-societies, okay? So back in the old days, this was important because of, of nutritional and reproductional benefits, and also among animals, this is important to have a to be the alpha male or or to be high up in a hierarchy in a in a in a herd. And nowadays, this translates into into interesting aspects like luxury industry. Luxury industry is mainly based on me or us signaling to others, look, I can afford this interesting car or this ship or whatever, my private chat. So what I can imagine during recessions is that the people still try to signal that they can afford certain goods, that they are pretty high up in a, in a, in a hierarchy, in an economic hierarchy. Mm. And I can still imagine that, that some of the luxury products will still be bought, but maybe more diversified. Uh, as you have said, lipstick or, or luxury goods that are cheaper than the, the luxury goods they bought uh, before. But I think this is this is imprinted in human beings that, that they have that they want to signal to others that they can afford it. And I think even in a recession, uh, yeah, maybe that they will save out on something else instead. Exactly. Maybe they, they, they save on on, on 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 nutrition that they they buy the cheap food. I'd rather but, starve myself than sell my Louis Vuitton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or sell my BMW or so to, to cruise yeah. around on Saturday evening. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. I was thinking uh, before we go into the final segment, maybe Ooh. you can just... Um, What, what's your uh, favorite biases and how do you try to avoid them? Like in your everyday life. Yeah, let me think about it. Let me think about it. I normally fall into the confirmation bias. Mm. I'm always looking for things that proves my theory. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm, 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 I'm never, I always find myself, I'm like, fuck, I'm only looking at the positives here. Yeah, you don't want to see like negative comments about your stock, yeah. maybe. Yeah, exactly. Hey. 
But uh, it's good. It's good to read them, though. Yeah, but I'm aware of it now, so I'm I'm like, oh shit, yeah, I need to find something bad. Mm. So, I agree. So I I think one major bias in it that's probably relevant for most of us is the confirmation bias that we are searching for information that already confirms with what we believe. That's what I'm, I think I fall into this trap as well, but I try not to do so, but simply knowing that this problem exists, I sometimes always try to, to read up on opposing views and confirmation bias, I think is really evil because especially nowadays with social media and so on, this can lead to those filter bubbles and to conspiracy theories. Because uh, if you take a wrong turn as an individual and go through those conspiracy theories, you will always find some stories that confirm with your strange theory and you still believe and it makes you even more confident that this is true. Mm. So confirmation bias, I think, is really extremely bad. And we should all of us should be very aware about it. Another bias is, or another behavioral pattern, I would say that is interesting that I try to avoid is probability weighting bias. Okay, and what's that? Yeah, that's uh, our tendency that we overweight low probabilities. We overweight low probabilities and we underweight high probabilities. So this, for instance, explains why people go to the casino frequently. Because they really believe the chances that they win are higher than they actually are. So... This translates also to lottery stocks on, on the financial market. So, so pretty unknown stocks that have an upside potential, but at the very low probability. And, and I always try to avoid that. Yeah, like pharma and medical, like yeah, when they research new exactly. pharmaceuticals and things like that. Maybe. Exactly. 95% of the cases, the company will be crap in two years, but in 5%, it will go through the roof. So yeah. that's, and people usually overestimate that. Um, and the third one is loss aversion and, and loss aversion means our tendency that we value losses more strongly than we value gains. So for instance, losing 1,000 Swiss kroner hurts me much more than getting an additional 1,000 kroner. So even in experiments, for instance, if you run those experiments where people are offered to lose 200 kroner or they can win 300 kroner, so the expected value is positive actually then most people will reject this, this, this gamble because the minus 200, the potential that they lose 200 weights more than the additional gain of 300. Mm. So this is extremely well investigated and, and probably a, a important for almost all of us. And it has several flavors. So loss aversion means if you, for instance, uh, want to purchase a car or a new bicycle or any other equipment that, um, yeah, that is more expensive. Usually, you get trial offers. You can you can try the car for one or two days, or mm. um, maybe three months on Netflix. Exactly, the three months on Netflix or the gym membership for free for the first month, and then you already you already feel like you have this product. And you, you, you feel how great the car is and, and the gym membership is good and Netflix is great and so on. And then losing it or giving it away, so not buying the car or not prolonging the, the gym membership or Netflix uh, membership would be like a loss in that perspective. And this is 
a very nice example of, of how loss aversion is, is utilized by, by companies with all those trial offers. And that's something I'm always trying to get aware of, knowing that as soon as I try to start something mm -hmm. like those trial offers or trying out a new car, I'm pretty sure that I will like it. Sure. But that's mainly because of loss aversion, because if I would have to give it away again, then I feel bad, basically. And that's why sometimes I do not try it even in advance, knowing that if I go down this <laughs> route, I would probably end up with too many cars and too many memberships. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And, and I recently heard about um, one of my colleagues, he did a um, master thesis sort of in this in this area where he like uh, researched the liquidity premium and um, in options mm -hmm. like um, put options are often more expensive almost uh, or like mm -hmm. when you try to hedge yourself so you when you protect the downside risk it's always often more expensive like yeah. in implied volatility yeah. and such so yeah i can't remember exactly but uh, it's really interesting phenomenon yeah very interesting yeah mm. yeah I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay, should we go to the final segment then, maybe? Yeah. It's so, time for the so weekly volley. The, the, the veckans volley. The weekly volley, as we call it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'm guessing you don't know Swedish and haven't listened to our episode. <laughs> mm, I know a little bit of Swedish, but it's very rusty. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's not an issue, but that's perfect, because then you don't know what's coming. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we have like a weekly, um, our finishing segment is when we uh, we throw a hot potato to each other. So we try to come up with cool. uh, a hot take or something relevant in uh, like society, or it, mm -hmm. it can even be something uh, personal like, oh, it's the, the, the weather is so great right now, we have to enjoy it or something but like that. But it's only the two of you, right? No, no it's, it's, for you, it's for you as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's, that's the hot potato bit. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my uh, my hot potato uh, weekly volley is um, it actually pertains to the thing you think you mentioned about Austria and um, the gas. So like the I think uh, heat pumps yeah. is going very very good. And one company I recently uh, heard about is called Grodno. Oh yeah. Uh, so it's like uh, a Polish company. Uh, they they sell basically sell heat pumps and uh, solar panels. Uh, mm -hmm. So my tip is to do some research research on that company. 
Yeah, there's a FinTweet stock right now that's going bananas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Michael, you have a hot potato for us, right? It can be anything, or? It can be yeah, anything. Yeah, something you spotted no, the last not week. Not necessarily related to stock market. No, 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 no. Exactly. So it's just something that, that okay, to make, to make the listeners aware of something. Yes, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's interesting. Let me think about it. Do you want to go ahead, Marcus? Yep. I have a few. You have a few? But wow. I'm, I'm going to stick to... Stick to the best one. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out which one's the best. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, but I saw that uh, Ting Staden is doing a new issues of shares uh, right now. Mm-hmm. And they're being really creative with the terms. Okay. Um, so... It's a real estate company. Uh, they normally have a dividend of 8%. I mean, right now they're down a lot, so they're at 8%. Mm. Uh, but they're giving out a fully secured uh, new research of shares, 200 million. And they were giving out a preferential stock with uh, a yearly dividend of 8%. Mm-hmm. Plus, uh, it's called a call option, right? Yeah. Uh, or when you can buy a new stock... What's it called? It's a technical option. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know what it's called in English. <laughs> no, but yeah, and they issued a technical option with it, which uh, was due until 2030, uh-huh. and that you can at any point in time from like next year, something like that, until 2030, you can uh, swap the option for uh, shares. Yeah, hmm. and for 100 kroners, but I think I think it was 110 kroners. I think the stock right now was at 80. Okay. So and they were to take in here. Yeah. yeah. And they were just being really fun with the with the rights issue. They were doing lots of stuff. Okay. Uh, the terms it, were is, is that a good sign or a bad sign? That's the I question. Mean, the the issue was fully sub, uh, subscribed. So I mean they yeah. must they've attracted a lot and in this climate doing that. Mm. I mean you have to be creative and do stuff like yeah, that. So I understand. So. I I've seen some IPOs that 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 had like less than 30% Subscription. Uh, subscription, yeah. So they had to cancel that. Yeah, so I've seen two, three, four, five, six. Just... Yeah, it's crazy. Michael, the hot potato. I think I'm ready seat. now. Yes. Okay, hot potato. let's go. I'm throwing that at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, thanks. <laughs> maybe oh, it's not surprising, it. but <laughs> maybe it's not surprising, but I'm. My hot potato. My hot potatoes are two books that I can recommend. To okay, great. perfect. Perfect All for the when you want to try to get some sun and read a bit. Exactly, bit. Uh, and I think it's a nice portfolio of the two books. Both books deal with psychology and how we behave, and both books are written from from scientists. But it's not a scientific book. It's written from scientists that you. It's easy to digest, and okay. it's about everyday decisions. So the first one is from uh, Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein called Nudge, which deals about, or which is about uh, the background of human behavior in, in economic financial decisions and how we, or how people can be nudged to show certain behavior. This is important for marketing. This is also important for government and so on. So that's a highly interesting book. The second one, that's from uh, Psychology. And uh, the authors are Christopher Chabri and Daniel Simons. It's called The Invisible Gorilla. (laughs) And all of you that are interested (laughs) in what this damn invisible gorilla is like, they can type in Invisible Gorilla Experiment on YouTube, and then they can go through one or two 
interesting experiments and they know what this invisible gorilla is all about. And it's about our, yeah, about everyday illusions. So that we are usually overconfident. We believe that we are more attentive than we actually are. Um, that's the second book I can highly recommend. That's perfect. Some summer yeah. reading. Yeah, great. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I actually remember that now when you said that the invisible gorilla that we did the experiment. Yeah, or, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, so you should definitely look it up. Look it up on YouTube. It's very fun as well. Are you on YouTube, Tim? If if I am on YouTube. Yeah. Did Michael put you on YouTube with the? No, 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 no. <laughs> there was no video recording of that. Okay. Before you go, Michael, and um, and oh, I need to ask you a quick question. Is Tim a good student? I yes, think, he is. Okay. Are, are you sure? You don't. Have, you are allowed to tell the truth. I can. I can. I can only talk from my course, and I was very happy with the course, uh, Tim, and all the other students. So it was a, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Professional answer. Professional yes. answer. Okay. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for taking your time. For yes. Us and the podcast. Yeah. Thank you very much for the invitation. It was really a big pleasure, and hopefully, at least one or two from the listeners found it interesting and maybe read through one of the two books. I definitely think so. Så, so, great job. Thank you once again. Thanks. Ja, Tim, det där var ju gött. Alltså, ja, men det var roligt avsnitt. Det var riktigt fint måste jag faktiskt säga. Vi fick lära oss väldigt mycket av Michael. Jag hade lätt kunnat ta en timme till faktiskt. Alltså, ja, alla de här teorierna, så jag älskar ju det här. Alltså, tänk dig Claes Rövvin, en bättre sen sommarkväll och så Michael vid bordet. Det blir fan inte bättre än så. Ja, nej, det, det är sant alltså. Vi gick inte ens genom hälften alltså. Visst, visst är det så. Nej. Men eh, ja, vi får helt enkelt önska er en eh, trevlig sommar. Ja. Men först så ska jag bara säga att mm. allting som vi har nämnt här i podden inte ska betraktas som finansiell rådgivning utan gör alltid er egen analys. Visst är det så, visst är det så. Eh, och om man har feedback vart ska man gå någonstans? Eh, till vår gmail, någontingomaktier.gmail.com eller så kan ni eh, nå oss på vår Instagram eller vår Twitter, någontingomaktier. Pam, bam, bam. Det är ju kanoner alltså. Gänget, bra. Ha en fantastisk sommar nu. Ja, ha det gott. Hej, hej. Have a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better. Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 